This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome back. This is our third course of this delicious Hannibal feast that we've created for ourselves here at Better Late Than Never. And we are checking in with Will to see how this delightful culinary endeavor is going. Absolutely delightful. Scrumptious even, if you will. Oh, do tell. Tell me more. Uh, Well, I was just talking about, I don't know if I was talking about the meal itself um, or everything surrounding the meal, the ambiance, perhaps, uh, the cutlery or everything that's just in perfect proportions. The waiters. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So just to catch everybody up, Will, you and I have been watching season one of the NBC show Hannibal. Yes. And uh, previously, we had just finished up uh, a three-episode-long bit watching episodes four, five, and six. And today, we are going to be checking in on four episodes. That's a big one. Yeah, four. We're going to check out. Yeah. It's like the toilet paper where there's, you know, 12 rolls equals 27 rolls or something like that. You get that extra one. Yeah. I don't know how toilet paper math works, but for some reason, every time I go and it's like eight rolls equals 12 rolls, four rolls. I don't, why can't rolls just be rolls? I don't understand. If all the rolls equal two rolls, then that's just what rolls are, right? Because you get an extra roll. I don't, I don't understand how it works. I don't know toilet paper math. It's part of the offer. They never taught me that in toilet paper school. No, no, no. That's that's graduate level math. You got to take intro to TP. <laughs> that's topology, I thought. Uh, this is too much of a digression. I apologize. You know, it's really a digression using toilet paper. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm being weird. I'm incredibly tired. Uh, <laughs> Hannibal so. definitely has a bidet in his house. I'm gonna uh, how oh. like how much would you bet that Hannibal has a bidet? Like he totally does. I would bet my life because he 100% has a bidet. Yeah. And I would 100% bet that he's used it to murder someone. <laughs> anyway, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, we watched episodes 7, 8, 9 and 10. How'd they go for you? We'll talk about them in detail, but, you know, just in general. Yeah, they went well. I mean, I think that you planned this out well as far as sectioning them off because this was, it seemed to be its own little um, chapter, if you will. These four episodes had a nice arc to them uh, and obviously excited to see what happens 
to end out the season. But um, but this was a pretty good kind of, I guess, if not climax, kind of penultimate um, arc to kind of set up the what the end game is going to be, maybe. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a nice little run of episodes. Um, now, you'd previously still been enjoying, but not 100% bought in to the show. Are you starting to feel your walls come tumbling down a little bit? <laughs> hmm. Well, you know, I've been enjoying the show from the beginning. I don't think I'll ever change my mind that a lot of it is, is just a little silly. Um, and I don't think I changed my mind in, in these episodes of that happening. But, you know, that's okay. You know, that's okay. I'll tell you quickly. Well, we'll not get off on another huge diversion. But um, my fiance and I recently, her for the first time, me for the second, because I made the mistake of making a reference to something that happens in the television show Lost, which she we had never seen. We don't talk about that show. <laughs> Well, she had never seen it, and now and now I am watching it for the second time. Oh, um, fuck. That show is incredibly silly, but it is incredibly entertaining and fun to watch. Um, so, I mean, silly isn't a negative. And I know that I think I'm bringing up some bad memories when I bring up the television series Lost, but, I mean, that show was awesome. Stop saying the name. We're about to find out what's in the hatch again. Oh, is it going to be worth waiting for? Totally. Yeah. Hurley with the numbers? The numbers are cursed, man. Oh, yeah, the numbers. That was super interesting. Is that going to turn out to be worthwhile? Absolutely not. The thing is, if you ever expected any of it to work out, then, you know... That was that was not going to work out well. If you just thought it was ridiculous nonsense and silly the whole time, things can have resolutions. Will they can ha- things can stick landings? I'm actually remembering a uh, Facebook thread you and I had about this ten years ago that resulted in me pasting a picture of uh, turtles standing on top of one another in outer space. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> there was a um. I don't know if you remember the um, college sketch troupe Old English. Oh, of course. Old English. Yeah. Yeah. um, They had a rather amusing online sketch back when those were a thing uh, called The Writers of Lost. And it nailed like all the things going on with Lost. And that was back when Lost had only had like maybe two seasons when they did that. But it was all like, you know. If you need to eat up some time and, like, you know, waste a few minutes an episode, use a flashback. And it's just, it's totally. like basically they're all just like freaking out in the writers' room, like, I got no idea what's going on. What, what can we do? And one guy's just like, What about we introduce a witch? Does she know what's going on with the mystery hole? No, she's never even heard of the mystery hole. Oh, yeah. Easy money. He's <laughs> like, Love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about ragging on the show that shall not be named. Let's come back to an actually good show that was a quality use of my time, which is Hannibal. Shall we? Thus, please. That's why we're here, right? It is. So let's kick it off with this question. Will, I've recently been editing one of the earlier episodes, and I challenged you to a drinking game which was to take a drink every time someone says 
the name Will. How's your liver? Yeah, I'm getting this weird yellow complexion I'm noticing. Yeah, they say his Bruising name a lot, really don't they? <laughs> Vomiting blood. <laughs> I don't know. Starting to look like Georgia Matchin. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of... no, I have not been I have not been doing that drinking game. No. They say Will a lot though. They do. Will. Don't worry, we'll keep introducing more elements to the drinking game as we go. I got another one at the end of this episode. So, episode seven, which is titled Sorbet, a.k.a. You Don't Even Have Any Friends, is probably my favorite episode in the entire series. It is a very good episode. Yeah, I absolutely love this episode. It's the one where when I was watching it originally, I came, I was already like on board with it. But this is the one where I came fully into, like, complete bought-in, like, super fandom, you know? Mm-hmm. So, if this one doesn't convince somebody, I don't think anyone will. So, where we left off, they had just discovered Miriam Lass's arm in the observatory, thereby proving that uh, Dr. Gideon, Eddie Izzard, was a liar and not the Chesapeake Ripper. Chesapeake Ripper is still at large. So we get a little bit of Will talking about the Chesapeake Ripper and his style. He kills in Sounders of Three. Why use the word Sounders? Sounders refers to a group of pigs, because that's how he sees his victim, as pigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence... He didn't treat Miriam's body in the same way because he didn't view her as worthy of that same kind of humiliating treatment that the pigs he normally kills got. He also removes the organs. They don't know why yet. They think maybe it's trophies. But it does mean that the Ripper has some sort of medical know-how, some kind of surgical know-how. And he acts with what they call a distinct brutality. True to his established pattern, the Chesapeake Ripper has remained consistently theatrical. That's the Chesapeake Ripper for you. He sure has. Yeah. What do you think? Think they're going to catch him? Think they're going to get this guy? I think they are, um, because, you know, I've I've seen what... (laughs) What happens in other incarnations where he's, you know, behind glass and going like. Oh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe this will be a a canonical. Who knows? Well, we're not there yet. First, we got to go to a night at the opera. And uh, we see that Hannibal is digging the opera so much that he's actually like weeping. And he leads the standing ovation. Uh, You know, and I'll go back a beat before then where we start off with some really hot uvula action. Yep. Nice throat shot. Nice throat shot. I mean, there was at least one person who got off on that. Ew. I'm I'm sorry. There was, right? There was at least one person who was like, that is so deep into that throat. Oh, my God. Because it starts right down in the diaphragm. Is that right? And then we go up 
And then you see the uvula juggling around there, and then it goes up there. I kind of wonder how they got the shot because it like it pulls out from in the throat, out into ultimately like a long distance wide shot of the woman singing, and it's like a crane shot over the audience. And like obviously there has to have been a cut in there somewhere, but just it's pretty seamless i don't know where they put the cut yeah i mean i'm assuming that the inside of the body was constructed with some sort of uh vx and then there was a hidden cut that turns seamlessly into the crane shot which goes over and then was it a total wonder also uh when it goes into hannibal's ear or was there a cut somewhere don't know probably yeah, uh so. There's probably some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, but I'm watching this on streaming, so I don't have that. Yeah, well, good piece of filmmaking right there to start us off with. And then we have Hannibal, who is emotionally uh, very tuned into the music. Yeah, and I mean, it says a lot about him, right? Like, this is a guy who appreciates art and skill. I mean, you know, we just talked about how he himself is very theatrical. Yes, exactly. Um, And he has such a refined palette in all senses. Yeah. You know, uh, you don't think that you're going to see... Hannibal and I wouldn't be hanging out at the dive bar or or going to... uh, If I had tickets to WWE, Hannibal probably wouldn't be the first person I'd uh, ask to come with me. Right. So... You know, he's very much fine dining, opera, uh, spectacular wardrobe, literature, um, very fine pencil drawings that he does as well. Uh, Everything about him is just so refined and cultured and deliberate and put together almost like he's a total psychopath underneath. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a sign. But um. You know, like kind of conversely, though, you sort of get the idea that psychopath or not, he would never kill the singer, Hmm. you know, because she has this rare gift that he appreciates so much, you know, Mm -hmm. he only kills pigs, Mm. you know, the ones who don't deserve to live, the ones who are beneath him, so... Unless he was, like, forced to defend himself from her or something like that. She is, like, one of the worthies. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. So he's having a really nice evening until Dan Fogler shows up ruining everything. Yeah. In the background, just ogling him. Like, what is that all about? And Hannibal's pretending not to notice. It's like that thing where you see someone out of context and it's just, like, awkward. I don't know. I I remember when I used to work retail, I would really dislike if I saw one of my customers out in the real world and they insisted on having a conversation with me. It's like, that's not, no, I'm, I'm not the video store clerk now. I'm just a guy. Yep. (laughs) We don't have to do this. Yep. Or I mean, just like, you know, nowadays seeing someone who like you had a friendly relationship with in college who you don't want to talk to. Oh Yeah. Get away from me, Dan Fogler. Take you and your stupid friend and get lost. 
Yes, little do we know at that point in time. Although, I mean, there is a, and I apologize, I don't know the actor's name. He's another guy who made it onto Law and Order, though. Um, yeah, his name is Demore Barnes. That's if I'm it. pronouncing it right. And just from the lingering shot they have on him and the facial expression that he makes, we get the idea that he's going to be significant somehow. Yeah, there's there's a hint of it. Uh, Hannibal eventually <laughs> gets away enough that we get a little bit of uh, kvetching from this socialite who's complaining that he doesn't... He, you don't cook for us no more. <laughs> You used to know, host such wonderful dinner parties. Love it. It it is incredible. Yeah. Um, we'll go into. Uh, I've a, I had a comment on on something later, but I'll wait till we get to later on that. Okay. Well. Anyway, long story short, we start getting a suggestion that perhaps uh, the the Ripper is preparing to become active again. Yes. And speaking of which, there's a new murder. And it's a spin off the old uh, stealing a kidney urban myth. Yeah. Which that is an urban myth or has that actually happened? I'm not sure. I didn't Google it. I don't know. I mean, I you always hear about it and it kind of, it's one of those urban myths that just seems realistic enough that it could really happen. Yeah. I mean, there definitely is a very robust kidney market out there. Oh, all the all the mm-hmm. organs. There's definitely a black market for internal organs. It's just um, I don't think you necessarily have to do that. Right, right. Well, I, I know in a lot of cases it's voluntary um, that, you know, particularly in emerging nations um, uh, or poorer countries that it's you know, uh, there is a trade in which, you know, and, and things aren't regulated as well as they are in other places that folks will say, you know, yeah, whatever it is, 10 grand, 20 grand, whatever the going rate is. Sure. What's the rate you know? for your kidney? I don't know. You only need know. one. I'm... You only need one. That's right. I'm going to say a million dollars. You would sell your kidney for a million dollars? Like just one. I would need I at would... least a million dollars to start thinking about it. I think I would go way higher than a million. I would have to be like wealthy. I mean, like a million dollars, you're fine. You're going to buy a nice house, but you're still going to have to work and everything. Like I would have to have fuck you money to sell one of my kidneys or to do any kind of body mutilation, I would say. That's fair. That's fair. Although, that being said, I don't have the money in front of me, and it really changes things, you know? Right. So, when you see the suitcase full of cash, like on, on the TV shows. Um, so, I don't know. But uh, I think, I'm I'm pretty sure I have both of my kidneys still. I've never heard a doctor tell me, whoa, you weirdly only have one kidney, so. Yeah. Uh... So, the weird thing about this is that it kind of looks like the Chesapeake Ripper, but uh, it, it doesn't really feel like it to him. Yeah. You know, Will doesn't see the Ripper here. So, you know, the Jack desperately wants it to be the Ripper, though, just because Jack, you know, because the whole Miriam last thing is desperate to catch the Chesapeake Ripper. We get, uh, we get a little bit more Franklin at his next session. And, you mm-hmm. know, Franklin has been popping up 
throughout the series. He's been a recurring patient of Hannibal's, but this is the first time we really get to see very much of him. Yeah. Comes on a little strong. He does. He does. And it's a comic scene. Um, All his scenes are comic and Hannibal as the straight man to play off of worked really well. And I actually, I don't know that actor's name either, but um, he he played it really well. Comes off a little strong. Franklin, yeah. Dan Fogler. Dan F- is the actor's name? Yeah. And Franklin's the character. Right, right, right. right. Um, yeah, comes on, yeah, a little strong is definitely the the type of person who we were talking about who's just a little bit too eager to, um, you know, be your friend or to not 100% appreciate these kind of social boundaries inherent in your context. Yeah, yeah. And that can be very annoying. But, you know, I did also kind of appreciate what he was talking about when he talked about how he imagined this scenario where he was Michael Jackson's friend. And (laughs) by being Michael Jackson's friend, he could have saved him. And it's patently ridiculous, of course. But is, is that or something like it not kind of a common fantasy? Like, not specific to Michael Jackson, but just to imagine, like, a famous person or someone who you think is great, who you're just like, oh, imagine if I was their friend. Like, I bet we would really get along. I bet, you know, I would get them and they would get, you know, like, do you never have that fantasy? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's the whole thing about celebrities, right? That's why we like them, because... We get to, because yeah, you think about oh yeah, I could, I could hang out with George Clooney. That would be, George Clooney wouldn't would be mine. Well, he would be, but he would be everyone's. But um, you know, it's like, and I think that's really uh, part of podcasts too. I mean, m- not this one. No one's picturing hanging out with us. But um, no, you're <laughs> you totally know, so- right because it, with podcasts, it's only in one direction. But because you listen to so many, and a lot of them are just you know shooting the shit style conversations you get to know people really well to the point where like you know their tics you know their stories you actually are Mm -hmm. kind of like in a in a single direction way kind of their friend yeah yeah so absolutely i mean that entire sensation i know and that's you know if you're enough of a fan of someone that you read a biography of them or like any of that stuff watch a documentary on them you know, if you watch like a behind the scenes documentary of a uh, band on tour or a comedian on tour, stuff like that, I've done a bunch or, you know, listen to a, a director's commentary, any of that. The whole idea is you're thinking about, you know, I would be awesome at being this person's friend deep down inside. That's what it is. I mean, it's even a little hard to admit that uh, right now as I'm saying it. But I mean, I think I think that's undeniable, right? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not denying it at all. I, I, I do it, too. I will say, pro- I'm I, assuming I speak for you as well in that um, my f- version of this fantasy is not as pathetic as Franklin's, where it's about, as he puts it, just being able to touch greatness. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's fucking sad. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, anywho, uh, Franklin's whining ultimately drives Hannibal off to see his own therapist 
Jillian Anderson, the queen. Yeah. Was that a uh, surprise for you to see Jillian Anderson on this show? Um, I noticed <laughs> I noticed her name in the opening credits. So, no, it wasn't a surprise when I actually saw her. Um, but I did get pretty excited when I saw her name in the opening credits. I mean, has society, has film, television, culture, entertainment as an entire entity given Gillian Anderson her due. No. Agree. Correct. And, you know, I think she actually has had a couple starring vehicles that I haven't checked out because I, maybe they just weren't for me. But um, she's had a, f- a few roles, like I believe Last King of Scotland she has a, a supporting role in. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, showcases another kind of side of her. But, I mean, she's terrific in everything. And post-X-Files, obviously, Duchovny went and had an entire career. And, obviously, Gillian Anderson is, you know, I'm sure she does I, very well. I would say well, she's but, having a bit uh, of a career renaissance right now. I, uh, good for her. Great for her. Yeah, I mean, she's been in this. Uh, did you see The Fall? No. But, yeah, okay, That's I'm familiar with her in that, so I should probably check it out. I mean, that's a starring vehicle for her. And, uh, oof, real good. Check it out if you're into if you're into Gillian Anderson. That's something worth watching. Nice, so, nice. Yeah. Well, anyway, here she's playing Doctor Bedelia Du Maurier. Cool name. I didn't catch that. That was her name. That's a fantastic name. Yeah. Um, and she's uh pretty sharp too. She talks to Hannibal and mentions that um. She understands that she only has conversations with a version of Hannibal and that Hannibal is really only wearing a very well-tailored person suit. Yes. Oh, very well put and very well observed, Bedelia. She also, though, ties the whole thing together into the theme of the episode where she mentions how she thinks that must be very lonely. And Hannibal gets all like, I have friends. <laughs> oh, really, Hannibal? Name five. Yeah. All right. So he's got like one friend. Kinda. Kinda. But whatever. He's he's working on it. That's why he's in therapy. He's working on it. That's right. Yeah. Finally, after all of this waiting, we get to see the Chesapeake Ripper's method. Mm-hmm. When people annoy him or are rude, he asks for their business card for his records. Yes. They go into his Rolodex, and whenever it's time for a recipe, he flips through his Rolodex, and he visits that person for that ingredient. And hey, Will, here is your pig heart. (laughs) I thought about it when he was chopping it up. As did I, because, and I think I spoke about this on another podcast, but yeah, I did eat a pig heart once and I chopped it up and it was very tasty, but um, definitely pig hearts and human hearts look almost exactly the same. Human hearts are a little bit larger. That's really the only difference. I mean, that's probably what what it was as a uh, prop, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, anyway... This takes us into one of the greatest montages ever put to screen. 
which is Hannibal preparing for a feast. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Do you want to talk it, about it a little? So I am a fan in general of food porn. Mm. Um, I'm I'm a kind of an amateur chef. Um, I've worked in restaurants and stuff. I know my way around the kitchen. I've got okay knife skills and all that stuff. And I do enjoy, you know, cooking and I do enjoy watching like YouTube videos on recipes and I do enjoy food porn. I just it's just part of the overall experience to me, not just eating it, but the different colors, the different looks of everything and all of that. So that whole montage and he's also uh, he's like vacuum sealing stuff. Yeah, for later. Which I, uh, for Christmas, got a sous vide machine, which if you're unfamiliar is you vacuum seal a piece of meat and you put it in a, like a water bath for like three hours and you get spectacularly, uh, perfectly, you know, medium rare steak. So it just kind of reminded me of that. And now I'm, you know, thinking about sous viding human parts and the whole thing. It was, uh, it was an experience, that montage. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous and amazing and funny and perfectly scored and like perfectly edited and everything so what you get is just like this consistent flip from recipe to business card to kitchen to fridge to increasingly frazzled csis as the bodies continue to pile up (laughs) you know because they keep finding the victims and at first they're kind of like well maybe it's an organ harvesting thing because uh hannibal very cleverly plants that idea in will's head as a potential um motive for what might be going on to get the Mm -hmm. heat off him a little bit but as these bodies start piling up they're going like this guy he's missing a spleen who gets a spleen transplant this guy only the intestines are missing so unless he's making sausages, and of course, cut immediately to Hannibal making sausages. <laughs> you would think, actually, given that they handled the Minnesota Shrike, they would be quicker to make the connection that there could possibly be a cannibalism angle. But whatever. And the the recipes will. I mean, if you are a bit of an amateur chef, I mean, the lungs and the brains and the hearts. Oh, my. They were like yeah, just I mean, so I've, cool looking. They are. I've got to try more of that. It's your Ophels. I have done. There you go. <laughs> that's that's the Ophels again. You know, the first time I, I um, got a uh, sheep liver once, a, a lamb liver, and my fiance had never eaten liver before, and I was trying so to good. kind of demystify. I, I love me some liver. I was to kind of trying to demystify the whole thing because she doesn't eat a lot of meat in general. And I thought, you know, maybe if I invited her to watch me, you know, take it out and slice it up and season it, um, that would kind of demystify it. Um, it had the opposite effect. She almost passed out as I was <laughs> oh. slicing up this. Because, again, it was, so there's something about organs where it just, you know, organs of all mammals look exactly the same. They're just sized a little differently. So it is, It there is something to that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm okay with it, which maybe might mean that uh, I'd be okay with being a cannibal. I don't know. I haven't tried. Yeah. Well, I I found the lungs actually to be incredibly striking. I don't think I've ever eaten <laughs> anything's lung. I don't think I have either. But it looked cool. Yes. 
Oh. Yeah, he and he had to kind of deflate it. He like pushed yeah. down on it, massage out all the air. Yeah, I think I saw them do that on an episode of Top Chef. Not huh. a person, but <laughs> sure. some creature. Right, I know. So back to Franklin a little bit, and he delivers a line that, for whatever reason, is one of the lines that has always stuck with me from this show. I have discovered that we are cheese folk. <laughs> I don't know why. I like it, It's been in my head for the rest of my life ever since I first heard it. I don't know. It's just so odd. Is it because... Is it maybe because you picture them as little, like, stop-motion cheese figurines walking around? Ugh. I do now. Because <laughs> it did definitely have that effect on me. It gets more pathetic, though, when um, Hannibal describes to Franklin how his friend Tobias, who's been distant, he's all like, you realize, right, that Tobias is your best friend, but you are not his. Burn. I know. Franklin's all like, damn. Okay. But they have a brief conversation about, you know, how it does hurt to be alone. No one likes to be lonely. It comes with a dull ache. I, you know, everyone's everyone's been lonely. Everyone knows that it's no fun. And Hannibal can relate to that, too, because he's got nobody in his waiting room all of a sudden. Where's Will? And Will is having himself a bit of a zone out. So clearly his health issue is starting to uh, get worse. We'll have more on that. Yeah. But so because Hannibal has found him, they have a little talk about the Ripper. As they're talking, Hannibal tries to push Will maybe away from the Ripper. They're talking about the Ripper's tendency to leave the bodies to be found. Hannibal suggests that maybe this is a display of one's enemies. You know, a lot of cultures do that, displaying an enemy after death. But uh, Will sees through it. He says, these are not enemies. These are pests that he swatted. It's (laughs) a reward for undignified behavior. And now that the cat's out of the bag, Hannibal just straight up tells him. He takes their organs away because in his mind... They don't deserve them. <laughs> Which is just beautiful logic. I mean, haven't you ever seen someone be like, just been like, you do not deserve a pancreas. You don't deserve that liver. Yeah, I've seen people like that, haven't you? Absolutely. I'm like, hey, you cut me off in traffic. You don't, you shouldn't have a gallbladder. Well, I feel like, you know, thank goodness for having the recipe book, because otherwise, how do you choose which organ? That's right. But the thing about this scene, though, is also just, you know, Will may not see him as, like, knowing he's the Ripper, but Will sees him. You know, he he understands the Ripper and what he's all about. Like, have you ever made anything artistic and had someone really get it? Yes. Not as often as I would have loved, but yes. Yeah, you know, there, there's kind of a a rush to that. Like, you feel like they're really seeing you. Like, when they see your intentions, 
there, yeah. there's something to that you know and i was thinking like it might explain why so many artists sleep with their fans i mean there's a lot of reasons for that to have a lot of reasons like, you know, for that. power and opportunity too but like i think there's also the fact that like you must have a sense that like oh this person like actually really gets me yeah oh 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah yeah so anywho long story short the conversation ends with uh, Hannibal just asking, by the way, um, what about this arm? What's going on with this arm? And Will is all like, oh, yeah, that isn't part of all this. He didn't want to humiliate this person. He wanted to do this to humiliate uh, Jack Crawford instead. And Hannibal's like, did it Did it work? And Will's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it worked really well. <laughs> so... Good for you, Hannibal. You got what you wanted. Yeah, I love this little insights into Hannibal where he's just not admitting something to the other characters, but admitting something to us as far as his inner motivations. It's like he knows he's on a show. Yeah. He's like Deadpool. (laughs) All right. So Beverly connects all the dots and figures out that it's an ambulance doing or an ambulance uh guy doing all this stuff that's what they're called right ambulance guys ambulance guys yeah yeah hannibal gets to go along to catch him because how could he refuse to go along with the chance to catch the chesapeake ripper right and i actually uh i could be wrong about this but i think the music that plays when they are coming up on the ambulance is from silence of the lambs huh okay i didn't catch that yeah i could be wrong Anyway, they catch the guy, but of course, we all know it's not really him. And that leaves Hannibal free to have his dinner party, which looks amazing. And he gets to kick it off with an absolutely flawless final line to the episode. Before we begin, you must all be warned. Nothing here is vegetarian. <laughs> bon appetit. Ugh. Ugh. So good. So good. So, question just generally, and it comes up almost every episode, is Hannibal will mention his butcher. <laughs> no one ever is like, where is this butcher? Where's his butcher shop? Can I get his number? I would like to. There's no episode where we go butcher. check in on the butcher. <laughs> so you are correct. <laughs> like it's just he's got his secret butcher. Like who has that? Well, I mean, he's got like you know so much like fancy other shit. It would make sense that you know he's got a guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I'm just. Uh, surprised that no one has ever asked him, like, you know, is your butcher taking new clients oh, yeah, or refer something me. like that? Yeah. Fair. Uh, to which Hannibal would probably say, take a number, because that's what you do in a butcher shop, get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was... And then he'd murder and eat him. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Got it. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Yeah, well, anyway, we took an extra long time to talk about that episode just because that one is so particularly good and awesome. Yeah. Um, I recognize that. We'll get through these other ones a little bit faster. 
Although, maybe spend a little more time on this one, because this next one is also pretty good. Episode 8, Fromage. Which means cheese. It does? I think so. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, we check back in on our buddy Tobias. Damore Barnes. Damore? Damore? Damore Barnes. From before. He runs a uh, music shop. String shop. Music place. Mm -hmm. Are bowstrings really made from cat guts? Hmm. (laughs) Not always. Oh, boy. You know, our buddy Franklin really knows how to pick them. He really does. Yeah, right? His two favorite people just both happen to be monstrous serial killers. Yeah, like they're not just your run-of-the-mill psychopaths. They're like super murderers. And and so similar, right? Like one uh, appreciates fine dining and one appreciates fine music. And of course, there's crossovers. Exactly. Um, I do like how he is, uh, you know, a patient and encouraging uh, music teacher. Yeah, that's true. Fun. I bet I bet he really was a good music teacher. Yeah. Of course, we also see later that he's a very harsh critic. Yes, that too. Um, so, <laughs> Will's hearing stuff. He has been hearing wounded animals all over the place. He goes on a walk with Alana. He tells her... I invited you over on the off chance that if we do find it alive, it's harder to wrangle a wounded animal by myself because he is just trying to charm the pants right off her. I know. I mean, that is some hardcore flirtation right there. I mean, what woman could resist? He's doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although he actually is. Strangely (laughs) enough. It turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Franklin, meanwhile, uh, after Hannibal's rejection in the previous episode, has been trying to um, be a little bit more Hannibal-y and look at the world through Hannibal's perspective. And he's a little bit worried about what he sees. You see, I googled psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He actually thinks his friend Tobias might be a psychopath. He's ticking a lot of those boxes. Yeah. Uh, there's a Jeff Foxworthy routine coming. <laughs> Do you want to deliver the line? <laughs> um, if you, you don't uh, have to. <laughs> um, if you feign human emotion to gain people's trust so that you can exploit them for your evil intentions. That was a t- that, that was not a southern accent. But I don't know what that was. But anyway. If you open a man's throat so you can play it like a cello. How about that? If having a friend for dinner means having a friend for dinner. There you go. Yeah, so we get Cello Head. This this guy who's at the orchestra, who's had like a cello put down his throat and his mm-hmm. vocal cords turned into strings. Um, you know, well, number one, you ever play an instrument? I played the violin uh, for a few years in elementary school and uh, attempted the guitar as a teenager. How apropos. Yes. You ever any good? No. Oh, okay. Um, well, you know, 
you mentioned the crossover between Tobias and Hannibal, and you know, there's a crossover with the murder too. How do you feel like this this kill compares to the cannibalism? I think it is on a par, uh, to put it that way. If we're just rating the kills, I mean, it is brilliantly executed, so to speak. A real work of art, you know, uh, you have to give him points for, you know, putting him uh, center stage, you know, right there to be found. Um, it is an exhibit and it uh, was, you know, grotesque, but also compelling. But do you approve in the same way? Do I approve? Have I approved in the past of, of Hannibal's murders? Well, you find cannibalism to be less wasteful. Oh, that's definitely true. Um, I would say that I don't approve as much um, because eating is a necessity. Um, art is also a necessity, but not as base of one. It's kind of a secondary, uh, I don't know, Maslow's hierarchy or whatever that is. I mean, it's kind of the difference between uh, funding food stamps and funding the NEA. You know, one is feeding people who need food. The other is also uh, important, arguably, but uh, not as base a need. Sure, sure. The arts are always getting screwed. Jack notices that Will's been having an easier time getting in the zone lately. It's getting easier for Will to look. Uh And this actually comes out when Will's is in the CSI room and actually speaks with the killer's voice he says i had to open you up to get a decent sound out of you (laughs) yeah damn yep Um, but you know it's clearly helping his investigative skills as is his relationship with hannibal because the two of them are starting to develop into quite the little detective duo Mm mm-hmm They quickly break down the musical murder together, and they realize that this kill was a performance. For who? Maybe a fellow killer? It was a serenade. The killer wants to show someone how well he plays. Mm -hmm. Isn't that sweet? It is very sweet. Yeah. He even told Franklin... Because he knew Franklin would run straight over and tell Hannibal. (laughs) Yep. Pretty reckless, but whatever. It inspires Hannibal to go visit. And it's an interesting visit. Yeah, well, certainly there's a kinship that um, both acknowledge and are enjoying. Yeah, well, it comes back to this sort of like friendship thing. Everybody just looking for a friend. Mm Mm-hmm. It also comes out that Hannibal plays the theremin. Yeah, You know what that is? No. Uh, well, for you and for the audience, that is that weird instrument that looks just like a radio with an antenna. And when you move mm-hmm. your hands, it makes that eerie like sound. Of course, that's what he plays. Yeah. Um, if you uh, know the... Portishead album Dummies. It's yeah. the instrument on the opening track of that. So, yeah. <laughs> this cameo by Hannibal. He did the, uh, he guessed it on that. He's a man of many talents. 
That's right. Yeah, of course he plays the theremin. Well, the thing he likes about the theremin is that it allows him to uh, play in between conventional notes. Mm-hmm. And it seems that the both of them are comfortable playing between conventional notes. Yes. It's like two, it's like the Victorian era, two closeted gay men trying to like drop hints to each other to have a, a tryst. It's funny because I had that exact same read on it or made that exact same analogy where um, obviously they are both enjoying the fact that they um, have a connection that they could never ever make public and they have to be secret about. And there's kind of like a coded language and knowing looks and stuff like that, much as you would uh, imagine you know, they're, they're being in societies um, in which homosexuality is... Uh, illegal or frowned upon or whatever um and you know i'm imagining like an oscar wilde type conversation totally um, between two characters yeah and uh speaking of oscar wilde they both take a moment to be just like complete bitches about the trombonist he murdered i know it was a tragedy but i can't help but think the orchestra will be better for it (laughs) at least the brass section (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it all right so back to will so will bangs a hole in his wall and then alana comes over and is like you look like a crazy person but that does not mean i won't make out with you yeah just a little bit and then i'll explain that i won't make out with you anymore because you're a crazy person right yeah she chickens out and i've Felt pretty bad for Will in that moment because it's like, you know, blue balls. Yeah, I don't know. It's fine. I still <laughs> find Will annoying. <laughs> well, meanwhile, across town, Hannibal and Tobias are having a lovely dinner together, and Tobias is a cocky bastard. He's so cocky. If the FBI gets on to me, I'll kill the FBI guys. And then. I'll go kill Franklin. And I love Hannibal's reaction, which is just like, oh, don't kill Franklin. (laughs) So, like, not that he would stop him, but just like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Right, right. You don't have to kill Franklin. Like, oh, you don't have to kill Franklin. I mean, whatever, but don't kill Franklin. (laughs) But I've been looking forward to it. Anyway. <laughs> but I want to. I want to, yeah. And in fact, Tobias was even going to kill Hannibal. But that was before he saw what Hannibal gets up to at night. Yeah. Hannibal doesn't like that, though. And he also doesn't like that Tobias is reckless. Yes. Hannibal doesn't like being put at risk. That's the thing about Hannibal. But Tobias, you know, he just wants a friend, someone who understands him. But Hannibal doesn't want to be his friend. Which, of course, leads to the question, why even invite me over? And it was because I was going to kill you. (laughs) What a coincidence. But don't worry, Tobias, I didn't poison you. I wouldn't do that to the food. What a Hannibal thing to say. (laughs) I know. So we get the face off, but they are saved by the ding dong. And it's Will. 
coming in hilariously broy, just like busting in, not paying attention to anything that's happening to Hannibal, just being all like, I just kissed Alana and I have got to talk about it. Hannibal sees an opportunity here, though, and he's all like, go talk to this guy. Will shows up. He's got a couple of red shirts with him, but they don't last very long. Nope. And then it's one-on-one. Tobias, it turns out, has a straight-up serial killer basement, like, right in his store. It's not even (laughs) hidden at all. He is reckless. He is reckless. Like, none of those um, little protégés, the little, you know, cello-playing pupils ever were trying to find the bathroom and stumble down there. You know? I mean, like, come on. No kidding. It was, like, right there. Just so easy to find. God damn. Well, so, the battle's inconclusive. Meanwhile... Hannibal's dumping Franklin, who rather hilariously has been dumped nine times by his therapists. That is a bad record. Jesus Christ, I know. Watching Franklin babble while standing in between these two, like, lions is kind of funny. (laughs) Just, like, neither of them saying anything while he just keeps, like, talking and talking and talking. Hannibal finally gets sick of it and offs him. And then we get some pretty cool hand-to-hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hannibal kind of met his match there for a little bit. Yeah, he did. Um, You know, well, Tobias has a pretty cool weapon. That, like, you know, swingy thing. It's brutal. Yeah. When he gets the arm. Yes. Wow. Yes. And starts ripping into the flesh. <sighs> yeah. God. Yeah, it's some good fight choreography, too. Yeah, a quick digression. Have you seen, uh, now, uh, I think the movie's called The Counselor, and it's the only movie, I think, that was written, the screenplay was written by uh, Cormac McCarthy, the author. I have seen it. You're thinking about it's the not uh, thing at the good... end? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a good movie, but it's a fascinating movie, and there's a similar type of device, and it ends up with Brad Pitt's head rolling down the street. Yeah. Which is entertaining to see. I didn't really care for it. I actually love that movie. You are a strange person. Well, anyway, everybody survives except for Tobias and Franklin. Jack is a little suspicious about all these dead people piling up around Hannibal, but whatever. Save that for another day. Right. Will expresses he's sorry to Hannibal. I feel like I dragged you into my world. But Hannibal reassures him. I got here on my own, but I appreciate the company. Aww. Episode 9. True No Mond. Now, what is that? Did you look it up? Uh, no. No. Um, a true No Mond is a... Well, it's something that's not false, and a No Mond is uh, some sort of heirloom or endearing... Uh, gesture or like a cake, a homemade dessert that you might bring to someone to gain their trust. Exactly. It is a small drink of brandy taken between courses in a very long meal. Ah, yes. Yeah. But you can really identify this as just being the totem pole episode. <laughs> Yay. 
yeah, no. So how's that for imagery? Nice, nice, right? Uh, yeah, pretty badass. And they just jump straight into it in this one. Yeah, just like episode starts. We're on the beach, and there is a totem pole of dead people. Oh yeah. Will starts doing his whole thing. He's all like, all right, I did this, I did that. This is my design. What the fuck? I'm in Hannibal's office. Mm-hmm. That's three and a half hours away. Clearly, his health issue is getting a little worse. He suggests that maybe he should get a brain scan, but Hannibal's all like, no. No brain scan. It's a little sus. Yes. You know who else isn't doing good? Abigail. Abigail is not doing great. She's getting the uh, the work over from Freddie Lowndes, who wants that sweet, sweet book deal. Oh, Freddie Lowndes. Always, always up to something. Yeah, I know. She's always got the best of intentions at heart. Sure. So Abigail's inclined to take the book deal, but Will and Hannibal do not like this. Abigail goes ahead with it anyway, but um, because she's gone ahead with it anyway, I guess just probably because of karma, Nicholas Boyle's body reappears, which, terrible timing. Jack is still suspicious of her as possibly behind the kid's death, so he makes her come in and look at it and answer questions with it right in front of her, mm-hmm. which is kind of fucked up. She's all like, can you cover that? And he's like, no. Yeah, it's very fucked up. Although, I mean, obviously knowing what we know, um, he's right to do it. But uh, it, if you were just a character in the show and not having the sort of universal knowledge that we have as a viewer of the show, it's just like, damn, Jack, you're a dick. Yeah, he can be a huge dick. Yeah. But he's on to something because even Alana, who has been very protective of Abigail, comes out of that interview being all like, yeah, she's definitely hiding something. But both of them put that to the side for the time being because any reservations that they might have, it doesn't extend to Hannibal. And of course, he has no reason to lie about any of this. So. Right. It's probably fine right i mean if you can't trust hannibal lecter yeah exactly that pillar of genuineness (laughs) um so anyway it comes out towards the end that it was actually abigail who uncovered the body to let it be found which was kind of like whoa that's fucking stupid and because it's so stupid hannibal is now questioning a little bit if he can trust her now she's reckless you don't want that no you don't want Hannibal questioning if he can trust you and even worse is that um Will sees it too because he's got a body to analyze he does his whole Will thing and he figures it out that she stabbed the kid to death he goes to talk to Hannibal about it and he's all like she killed him And Hannibal's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) How? I helped her dispose of the body. Right. Just so nonchalant with that. Well, it was the only play he had, right? It is the only play he had, absolutely. 
It's either that or he had to kill Will. Right. But the line he uses on him, though, is brilliant. Uh, he says, we're her fathers now. We have to serve her better than Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And matching that uh, that fa- the two fathers kind of imagery, they all meet up one more time for dinner at the end of the episode with Freddie Lowndes. Yeah. They have a nice awkward dinner together. Yeah, it's like the gang's all there. I'm trying to remember. It's it's like the it's like the, the it's the whole crew though. <laughs> well, it's um it's Abigail. Yeah. It's Freddie. It's Will and it's Hannibal. That's right. So they're no Jack, but yeah, okay. Um so it's just the four of them. Now Abigail, was there a subtle thing or did I imagine this? Where Abigail knows what human flesh tastes like, and when she takes a bite, there's sort of like a look that she kind of knows what's going on. I think that's possible. Yeah. I'm not sure. And if that gets confirmed later, I don't remember. What I do know is that Freddy turns out to be a vegetarian, which just gives yet another reason for Hannibal to hate her. Yes. But the thing I remember about this scene is just that like will who now knows that abigail killed this guy throughout the scene is playing the like disappointed alcoholic mom (laughs) through like the whole thing he's like so drunk and snippy right it's just it's it's really funny there's one other thing that happens there but we'll circle back to that after we finish out the a story which is of course uh, all the dead people in this totem pole. So Jack isn't sure that he should have Will on this case, but Will gives Jack the least convincing everything's fine that I've ever heard, and it's business as normal. Do you remember that line, Reed? No, it's not It's not coming to me at the moment. Uh, well, it ain't convincing. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, they... Uh, Discover there's 17 bodies total. Each one was killed a different way. A lot of them were hidden as accidents. And uh, they're pretty sure that um, each one was, in fact, a murder by the guy who made the totem pole. Right. So, Alana pops by to tease Will a little bit more. And to say, like, I totally would hit that with you but i think you're unstable yeah that old line god damn if i had a nickel for every time i've heard that one (laughs) good god i would have 30 cents yeah i was thinking 30 35 not quite bus fare but you know Mm. yeah well anyway so The CSI guys, they connect totem body number one with totem body last, the one at the top, who they think was the most important because it was the top of the totem pole. They are father and son, as it turns out, except the son isn't a DNA match. That's weird. So they think that the father who's not the father may have been murdered by this one guy so it's time to go talk to lance henriksen of course lance henriksen popping up i will quickly say that i love the casting on this show you always isn't it have, good right you always have good folks popping up 
Yeah, like they get really good people just for like these small, otherwise disposable side roles. Yeah. Like, you know, fucking who would think to cast Molly Shannon? It's pretty yeah. good work. I know. Good. Good on them. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I do like Lance Henriksen, I want to know how he got the rider in his contract that said that he would only do it if he could be sitting down the whole time. Yeah, just having a seat the whole time, which, I don't know, fine, good I'll do it, but I never have to stand up. I don't know, I haven't seen old Lance Henriksen in a while. Maybe that's a medical condition these days. Mm, no standiitis? Yeah. Right. Well, anyway... It's Lance Henriksen, so obviously he's guilty. Obviously. And he just gives himself up. He has a pretty good line here where he said, uh, I had every reason to kill the others. They just had no reason to die. Yeah. Which is an interesting serial killer philosophy, if you think about it. Yeah. Kind of makes you think. Yeah. Yeah, I like Mm. that when these serial killers can... You know, come up with philosophical nuggets like that. That's perfectly well justified, putting it that way, frankly. Anyway, he starts to go into his big gloating brag speech, but they manage to cut him off by being all like, You killed your son, bro! Killed your son. That last guy in the totem pole, he was your son. Killed your son, bro. And so... Gives them the ability to give him a nice little fuck you before they haul him off to jail. And that's the end of Lance Henriksen's story. That's the end. That's that's him. And, of course, circling it back, the very end of the actual episode is we discover that Abigail is, in fact, just as guilty as Jack has suspected all along. She knew what her father was doing, and she acted as the bait for all of his traps Mm. to get all the other girls she was his accomplice the whole time dun 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 not much of a revelation for you no i mean revelation i'm not sure if i 100 percent um agree with your framing of it because it wasn't like she was doing it like 100% willingly, right? She was raised in a certain way. You know, she was she was doing it under the influence and uh, authority of her father and from, a, you know, raised uh, to think that that was the right thing to do from a very young age. I mean, she's the victim as well. Yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying, but it's certainly a much more complex and gray moral area than what we were dealing with previously where she was just a victim absolutely that's true yeah well anyway we're at our final episode for this installment which is episode 10 buffet fraud buffet fraud fraud buffet freud buffet fraud anyway so the previouslys make it clear that this is going to be an episode about Will's illness, finally. Mm-hmm. And there's a pretty good cold open, too. What it makes really clear is two things that are scary. Number one, living alone in a rural area. And number two, uh, homeownership. ownership. <laughs> 
right? Because what? what a pain in the ass when that woman discovers that she's got a hole in her in her roof. Oh my god! And it's like soaked her like ceiling. I was just thinking like, oh god, that sucks. <laughs> but it's you know I, I give the show points. It's a pretty tense, scary uh, opening scene they had there in this episode. This is a scary episode. This is, and I will say that it, it's one of the few that I actually found uh, legitimately frightening. And the I don't know if it's a trope. Uh, the action. I don't know the whole thing of being dragged. Just to me is one of those things that makes me like uh, viscerally squeamish. Um, mm. And this, I guess, like the opening scene to it is similar, but even more so, the idea of being dragged um, on like splintery wood and like trying to grab onto it with your hands and like having the splinters oh, go yeah. into the fingernails as you're being like dragged and like like skinned knees and and your whole bottom is being yeah I, it just ugh. well not only that but it's it's the classic it's the monster under the bed yes yeah. They, they pulled the monster under the bed on us and getting dragged underneath it. That was, yeah, it's, it's a scary one for sure. And the monster lives up when you finally see her too. That's the mm-hmm. crazy thing. She's a creepy looking, creepy looking freak. <laughs> we'll get to her in a minute. Will is still having symptoms. He's talking to Hannibal about them. Hannibal is all like, draw a clock and so will does and fuck man that is some effective use of visual storytelling that is show don't tell right there when will hands over the clock face that he drew and it's all fucked up like that that is some effective directing absolutely yeah, that moment was terrific. Um, it definitely got me. I, I think I uh, audibly made a noise, if a, a, a chortle or something like that. Yeah, I think I think I made a noise like I think it was like ho oh, or something like that. Oh, like mm. not a laugh, but just like a ho. Oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, I even I mean, you know, that winds up being like one of the memorable images from the series, so I knew it was coming. But even just like the impact of seeing it for the first time uh, again, I was still kind of like, damn, you know, it hits hard. Yeah. So we find out later that this is in fact a symptom of what will has, which we'll find out more about. It's called spatial neglect. Will's latest blackout is a real doozy. He wakes up in the middle of a crime scene, apparently giving a girl a fucking Glasgow smile. Terrible. Uh, Long story short, he's contaminated the fucking crime scene. And Jack is officially concerned about him now. Uh, Not just like, I'm worried about you, Will, but like actual like FBI policy boss level concerned about you. Right. So that means things have to actually start happening about it. But as to the killer, Will notices that it seemed almost as though the killer was trying to take a mask off of the girl. And also they note that the killer didn't bleed when they were scratched. Mm -hmm. So all things that they can investigate. So back to Jack's concern. Uh, Will thinks he's got something wrong with him. So Hannibal, 
can recommend a neurologist. Just so happens to know one. The man's name is Dr. Sutcliffe, but for the purposes of our discussion, I think we can just refer to him as Dr. Ethics. Yes, absolutely. Okay. First, do no harm. Yeah, right? So, before they go, Hannibal tells Will that if there's nothing there, Will has to agree that it's definitely mental illness that's wrong with them, okay? Yeah. And Will's like, fine. Except... When they get to Dr. Ethics' place, they fu- we find out that there's definitely something there. It's encephalitis, and Hannibal already knows this because he fucking smelled it on him all the way back in episode five. Good Lord. You know, I got to say, as much as... And this is, this is kind of weird because obviously this is a guy who's like killing people all the time, mutilating people. There's like horrible gore and torture on this show. But I just found that whole sequence so unnerving. The idea that doctors could be conspiring and not telling you about a serious medical finding. 100%. Just to fuck with you. I mean, it's just, I I guess that particular uh, concept of just human deception and horror has never even occurred to me. And I find it deeply unsettling. Yeah. And also, I mean... The the killing on this show is so gruesome and outlandish that it's something that you can kind of file away into the sort of like Quentin Tarantino Kill Bill cartoony violence yeah, section totally. of your brain, yep. whereas that is a much more subtle and unnerving sort of harm that could actually be done to you in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... I agree. It's horrible and upsetting. And you know what? Probably something that uh, is done for insurance company reasons. Uh, you know, maybe not that blatantly, but uh, probably regularly in some capacity. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how. Well, uh, what I'm saying is um, it's expensive to uh, treat uh, real afflictions if you're an insurance company. So maybe there is in our uh, capitalist-based healthcare system an incentive for doctors to under-diagnose things because they're in the pockets of these uh, large private insurance companies. I don't know. I'm just speculating here and saying some things that might happen in the world. I've got no... Well, it does seem like a perverse incentive. You're right. So, yeah. Anyway, Hannibal convinces Dr. Ethics to keep the encephalitis to himself so that uh, the one can study the effects of Will's illness on his mind, the other, the effects on his brain. Yeah. Will goes and visits the murder house. And it turns out the killer is still there, and her fucking arm comes off. Gross. Ah, that was gross. Right? It turns out that she has something called Cotard Syndrome, which is a real thing. And uh, it's when a person thinks that they are already dead. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point in the episode, two very interesting conversations happen. Two one-on-one conversations. The first one is between Jack and Will. 
Jack is concerned about Will and encourages Will to treat him, to treat Jack as his rock. In a world where Will feels like all his foundations are like sand, Will says, I am bedrock. So it's a very warm, good conversation. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, Hannibal has Dr. Ethics over for dinner, and they discuss Will. Dr. Ethics asks Hannibal, why are you doing this? Hannibal's like, Will has a rare imagination, and Dr. E is like, so you set his mind on fire. (laughs) That's Hannibal in a nutshell, basically. Yeah. You asked in a previous episode about what Hannibal's motivations are for doing what he does. Do you feel like this episode went anywhere in terms of helping you understand him? I think so, sure. I mean, the picture's getting clearer and clearer, I would say. That's good. Good. Of course, it doesn't mean that Will means nothing to him, because he did say, Will is my friend, and we will put out the fire when it's necessary. Right. Sure we will. Yeah. Right. Dr. Ethics bites it. He appears to get killed by the girl who's named Georgia Madchen. They figured that out. They think that she killed him because she is after Will. And so the FBI knows that this killer is after Will, who is potentially sick, definitely having mental problems, lives all alone, and again is being stalked by a killer who's already killed his doctor. And they just send him home all alone to his rural, out-of-the-way place with no protection. Yeah. Good luck. Are they stupid? Yeah, I guess they are. (laughs) I guess they are. So, anyway. Fortunately, he's saved by his dogs. A whole bunch of good boys. Good boys they and good are girls. such good boys. I am jealous of Will's dogs on the show. I want yeah, those dogs. Yeah, I know. He's got a pack. Yeah. He's got himself a pack. Yeah. And they protect their alpha. But uh, she's so she's under the fucking bed again, which, Jesus Christ. I know. Pick a new spot. Well, it's, it's no way points to for being sardines. creepy, though. Yeah. Will successfully talks her down, and it is actually kind of a a sweet scene in its way. I don't know if I would have been able to touch her hand, though. Could you have touched her hand? No. Ugh. I know, right? Gross. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't like touching hands in general. Um, <laughs> one of the great things about this pandemic is I haven't had to shake a hand in a year. Right. Yeah. The same. I'm not very touchy. So not having to touch people has been great. But then having to touch someone whose hand recently came off in my hand i don't know but um we have a happy ending for once for once on this show a a, a good result she surrenders she's gonna recover and hopefully she doesn't remember anything why does she hopefully not remember anything because she did not kill dr ethics That was actually Hannibal who did that, 
And I just want to say that in this final scene where we see it, visually speaking, that is how you do scary imagery. Suck a dick, Walking Dead. <laughs> Take some notes. Um, the blurred out face to uh, illustrate that she do- doesn't have facial recognition, the ability for facial recognition the um i mean and, and hannibal's wearing uh i don't know if it was an intentional callback but definitely reminiscent of the american psycho rain jacket um that he yeah. wears so I, I told you that there was going to be another element of the drinking game to come up yeah this is it so you have to take a sip every time someone says the name will Every time this is the this marks the first appearance, and every time from now on that we get another appearance of Hannibal's full body condom, you have to take a shot. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, it will be seen again. I'm sure it will be. But yeah, the the blurred face. I mean, there's there are a few things that are just very creepy, and I mentioned the being dragged earlier. Um, and, and, you know, blurred face in that way that's not completely blurred, but it's kind of blurred. And it's it's similar to the uncanny valley phenomenon, which is, yeah. you know, um, when there's a fictional character, an artistic representation of a human that isn't quite, you know, that's that's so realistic looking, but not quite realistic looking. And it's just in that uncanny valley between the two things. And this was that's the part that creeps you out. Very, very similar way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that was a marathon. We've got three episodes left to go before we finish out season one. How are you feeling on the show? Well, I'm excited to see how the season, uh, how it all comes together, how it ends. I don't know if it's going to be treated as a standalone season at the end, if it's going to be a satisfying ending, or if it's going to be a cliffhanger for the next season. Do you Um, want to make any calls on how things might go in the last three episodes? Now's the time. You know... Okay, so I'm just making predictions for the hell of it. I'm not actually... I wouldn't put anything on the line here. Um, But I would say that the season does not end with Hannibal being caught or being found out. But the season does end with either Will or Jack coming upon some incredibly compelling piece of evidence that indicates Hannibal in some way. And that being a cliffhanger for season two. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good prediction. I guess we'll find out. So yeah, that's three episodes left to go and one more check-in. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this one up? You know, I think that I think I'll just get on the next three and uh, we'll see how it all, we'll see how it ends. We'll see how the whole meal comes together. Yeah, you're only as good as your final course. That's right. Well, right on, dude. Um, in that case, if you want to get in touch with us, email us at betterlatethannevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevernevern
and we will catch you next time when we check in on the final three episodes of season one of Hannibal. Bye!